This is the Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Dr. Kim Brown for the first time. Welcome to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, let people know we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see the icon up there that says Listen on Newsly. And for our audience, if they use coupon code GHOST, they can get one month free premium subscription. Again, we'll be on Newsly later tonight as an audio-only version of the podcast. And we also want to let people know that we're actually at episode 992 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast, getting closer to episode 1000. And then we also have, for those of you who are listening, we have the URL for your drkimbrown.com forward slash courses. That will be fully clickable when we're published on all the major podcast platforms. Now, if somebody clicks on that, they go to your website and they can sign up for your courses. Yeah, absolutely. There's information on there that will help them decide, you know, which area they want to explore. Okay, great. So just wanted to start off today to the topic is going to be personal development. And then how maybe you want to start with your background as, as a doctor and a master NLP co a coach and practitioner and maybe give people uh, a little bit of the background um, behind your, um, your, your efforts in NLP master practitioning. Absolutely. Well, prior to NLP, I've been in the healthcare industry and it became very obvious to me how quickly people in that industry in particular burn out and how overused and underpaid they are. And it was also because I felt that I wasn't getting far enough with my patients. I wasn't getting the holistic picture with my patients. That's what led me to explore NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. There's so much more to the body. There's so much more to health. There's so much more than just what we physically see. The emotional and mental side of that is really, really important. Uh, so I explored that side of things and, and have never looked back. I've just found that being able to master the mind, being able to master what we think, how we think, has been so much more important than learning just about the body. It seems like it's um, like mind, body, spirit, heart, soul. If you go into Eastern practices, there's more... Um, I lived in Japan for two years and I, I ended up getting into Buddhism and in other Eastern practices. And there was this more of a kind of I don't know, holistic nature of the things where you looked at like every piece, like the mind has a lot of power and the soul and the spirit, those things. Sometimes they, in the West, we don't pay attention to those things. We don't pay attention to our body. And then sometimes we don't pay attention to our dreams. We don't. So we miss signals. It's like we're getting signals from, the microcosm and the microcosm and we don't we say well you know i don't believe in that or i don't understand that or that's not real and so it seems like what i found over the years after talking to a lot of people um especially life coaches and, and practitioners and therapists that it seems like this holistic nature of, of opening up things to not just have a narrow focus is part of the key and in the mind is part of that absolutely the mind's the driver so ultimately, if you get the mind right, the other areas of life are going to go right too. So is it really like mind over matter? Is that when you start to realize when you think something, right, it actually affects your body, right? So if you're, if you're 
have a belief in your mind and you're you're doing negative thoughts or things that are you know not helpful there's there's like there's a direct connection to sometimes like disease right potentially you could you could drive yourself into bad body situations by having a negative mindset yeah you actually nailed it there you can actually literally drive yourself to disease dis-ease just like you can drive yourself to health through the through what you think how you think and this is why I got so interested in it, because the more I studied those mind-body-soul connections, the more I appreciated that it's not just what we think and how we think, but it's how often we think it that will dictate how the body goes, how the body works, what your outcomes are, you know, whether you're going to uh, be successful financially or not, whether you're going to be successful in a relationship or not. It just has so many effects. And the thing is, the mind is divided into something that is autopilot, so something that we don't even have to think about, that's your unconscious mind, and the part of us that does do the thinking, the conscious mind. So people seem to think that mindset is all about the things we think, as in the conscious mind, Mm -hmm. but 95% of our mind is the unconscious. That's the autopilot. We've actually got to train that to be... Uh, empowering for us and to be positive for us and to be in the right direction because most of us have our unconscious minds beautifully programmed to be negative, beautifully programmed to be, uh, to be, you know, to have the storage of other people's stuff, you know, generational stuff. And, you know, so it's, it's deeper than just what, what you think consciously. It's way deeper than that. But the good news is you can actually change and affect the unconscious mind so beautifully that it will have significant difference in the physical body. People have healed themselves from all sorts of stuff through programming their unconscious mind for good. But people have also led themselves to a super early grave if they've got the negative Nancy views of, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die, you know? So ultimately Mm. what you think can become reality depending on how often and how deeply you think it. Yeah. If you think about a lot of people, like when they're kids, they, they, they start to get these limiting beliefs because you get these uh, beliefs because like your parents say, you're never going to be good enough or that's silly or you shouldn't do that. Or you know, I don't love you. So you get these things that get stuck in your head as a kid. Then you believe it. Then you don't love yourself. Then you get these limits and then you have to try to reprogram yourself and you might not even believe it's possible to reprogram yourself. So you're kind of stuck in a loop and you don't get out of it. And I've dealt with a lot of creative people <clears throat> and a lot of creative people, they use their art to kind of is art therapy as a catharsis to get around it. But sometimes they're still in it. Cause I know a lot of artists that like they, they take their, these um, these crucible moments and that's when their best work happens. And then they feel like they always have to be in a crucible moment. And then that can lead to a bad result. Because if you think you have to be in that state to create your art, then you never get beyond that state. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a very common belief along uh, around a lot of artists anyway that they can't make money with their work or they're always going to be broke. You know, artistic folk tend to have this pre-programmed idea or downloaded idea that their money, that their art won't sell, or that they'll never be able to make money from it, or that who would want to buy my art? You know, only I like it. It, it happens so much in the creative field. You know, artists, poets, singers, writers, dancers. Like, there's just, it's almost like there's this unwritten belief that nah, you're not going to make it in that industry. Not many people make it in that industry. You know, and people 
hold themselves back from their creative nudges or creative ideas that they have because they've got this crappy belief that they'll never make it or that their stuff's not good enough. And the reality is everyone's stuff is good enough for someone who wants to buy it. You know, it's, we don't have to like everybody's stuff. We don't have to like everybody's artwork. We don't have to like everybody's type of dance or type of music. There's always an audience for you. Well, I think what happens is, um, in, you know, from, from a creative st standpoint, as a lot of artists, a lot of artists, we have this big um, backlog of stuff that we create and we limit ourselves because we think it's not good enough. And a lot of times we're trying to make it perfect. And why I try mm -hmm. to argue with people, and I, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten into this mindset where I heard Herbie Hancock and Victor Wooden talking about the need for perfection in, in arts, right? So the, a lot of times people will say, well, there's a bad note. But Victor Wooden is a famous bass player. He said, there's no bad note. It's your intention. And you can, you can actually play off of a bad note. And, and if you don't treat it like it's a bad note, it, you can treat it like it's an opportunity. And, and uh, Herbie Hancock talked about playing with Miles Davis and hitting the wrong chord and thinking that he just wrecked the whole set. And then Miles actually played off of it and changed the song. And then he realized I should live in the present. I shouldn't be so focused on trying to be perfect. I can let, like, live in the moment and realize that you can let it be and that you can actually take it as an opportunity. A lot of people don't think that way. They think they like it's a mistake it's it's got to be perfect and a lot of art was what i call happy accidents a lot of art is not what was intended it's something that happened and it happens to creative people and inventors and stuff too the thing that you intended doesn't always happen sometimes it's unintentional and you have to have the kind of belief in yourself to be able to push it through and say hey this should be but that's hard a lot of people don't have that because they're, they're scared of what people are going to think uh, absolutely. And the fear of what other people think holds most people back from re reaching their full potential. You know, a speaker or an interviewer or someone that stumbles on a single word, who cares? Moving on, you know, we're human. It's the same with that artist that gets the wrong note. Who cares? Move on. You know, it's if you're going to hold yourself back because you're trying to reach perfection, when are you ever going to get your stuff out there? Because, you know, we all appreciate that perfection is a really, really uh, hard expectation or standard to try and reach, you know, and instead of just going, you know what, I'm going to take imperfect action. I'm just going to get myself out there and I'm going to do what I love and I'm going to do it beautifully. And if a little bit goes wrong, so be it. Like you say, it's the opportunity that comes from that. It's the opportunity to grow. It's the opportunity to learn. It's the opportunity to be unique. It's the opportunity for, you know, for you to just expand what it is you're doing. Well, I think also a lot of times um, folks are, they don't understand things that they can't see, right? So sometimes there's like a lot of things in terms of, I have like a lot of kind of mysticism in my in my belief so in terms of creativity, like I feel like the muse. I feel like the universe, I feel like I can channel like something. So if I get to my piano, I don't try to overthink it. I feel like I can channel that moment. And it's like, it's stuff that's internal, but there's a lot of stuff that's ex external. And I feel like I can tap into it. And I think you have to give yourself permission. And I've, I've talked to like authors that say, well, I get into the flow state. I might do world building, 
I might do character design, but I might just sit at the typewriter or sit at the word processor, sit on my notepad and go into a flow state. And sometimes what I came up with in that flow state is better than what I designed. And you have to kind of say, hey, hey, you know, sometimes the dream or that that kind of being in that present moment and trusting yourself that, that, wow, I actually came up with something that's better than what I was planning. And, you know, that, that can happen if you let it happen. If, if you don't believe that you can do it, like you feel like, oh, I got to be uh, like, you know, Beethoven or Bach to be in music. Well, then you're probably never going to go and do it because they already existed and you're probably never going to be them. You're going to be you. <laughs> yeah. And I think the most powerful thing you can be is you. You can be inspired by Beethoven and you can be inspired by Block, but you don't need to be them. You get to be you. You get to be perfectly you. And I love it when you talk about the flow state. You know, I never really understood that until, you know, just a few years ago when I was able to just tap into it, so to speak. You know, I've come from a very scientific background. So for me to sort of come full circle out of the facts and the figures and the science and all of that to actually just appreciate more of the beingness, more of the being present, more of the just set the intention and go with the flow, you know, that has really changed so much for me. I never considered myself particularly creative, yet when I sit down in a real flow state, I can smash out an article in about 20 minutes, whereas, you know, I've been very much one of those people that will sit down and get writer's block and take three days to put a title on the page, whereas when you really get into that that state, that ability to just chill out and be yourself and ground yourself and and just allow whatever thoughts and ideas and beliefs and inspirations come through you rather than trying to find the perfect words. The perfect words will come if you just allow them to, if you just tune in yeah, to the presence of, of today. Because I'm in this, I'm in my day job. I'm a software designer, and we used to do this thing called waterfall. In waterfall, we build these like 150 page, 200 page documents. They had to have everything right. And this is the old mainframe COBOL stuff, like back in the 70s and 80s. And then what we live in today is the agile environment. In the agile environment, we have iterative development, and we know what we don't know. Right? We know that. What's going to happen if you notice on your phone, every day there's a new version of an app. It's like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. Why is that? Because we don't know what we don't know. And so the software development never stops. It continues, it's continuous improvement. And what I find is sometimes if you think about that, your life is continuous improvement. You're learning from your lessons learned. And you're never really done till you're done, till you're, at, you're not here. And so if you think of that way, you don't have to have the whole thing there. You can try to get 90% of it or 80% day one and do the rest later. And so that's where some people will never start because they say, well, I got to be at 100% before I can even start. And sometimes you don't have to be a, be there, you know? Exactly right. The, the analogy that keeps me going every day is I personally believe that I'm building my empire but I'm building it literally one brick at a time, one stepping stone at a time. And any new project I'm doing or any new 
uh, event I'm running or even a podcast I'm running, they're they're all stepping stones. They're they're just bits that accumulate to something greater. I don't need to have built the entire empire before I turn up for clients. In fact, each client is another stepping stone for the empire. The empire is an, you know, an everlasting project and development. It's not the end game. It's, it's the journey. But each piece of the process, each piece of the project is the stepping stone. And that stepping stone path may be a little weavy and wavy as I figure out what it is I want to achieve, what it is I want to do, drop off projects that don't inspire me, bring in new projects that do. But they're all projects and pieces of the puzzle as opposed to waiting for this big aha epiphany to happen before I even get started. And I teach this to my clients to make sure that they are still making progress. It's about growing. You're either growing or you're dying, right? So keep growing forward. Keep, even if it's failing forward, keep failing forward, keep moving forward and taking that imperfect action so that way it grows and develops into something amazing. But whichever way you're still moving forward, it's not waiting. So many people wait. So many people wait for this, Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I won't do anything until it's perfect. Really? Just do something and then you'll grow yeah. from that and expand from that. And you can use your early work as a bit of a fun blooper video, if you like, because it at least just shows that you're as human as anybody else. And But you did stuff, even if it wasn't great, even if it wasn't perfect, you got on and did stuff and that helped you move forward. Well, I think a lot of people have trouble with emotional, emotional kind of release. Because a lot of people are kind of taught to be stoic, depending on their background, right? So if you're taught, they're like, well, I'm not supposed to show emotion. I'm not supposed to show that I'm feeling bad or feeling sorry. I'm supposed to suck it up. Like my grandpa's, they want to suck that up and don't think about it. But they just do it. And I think a lot of people go get stuck in that. And then they, they build up a collection of all these things. And then it finally kind of hits the damn burst. And then they're like, wondering like how am i going to solve this and then they want to solve it like in 10 steps and be done in 10 steps or 12 steps but it's like maybe that's a continuous thing that doesn't stop i think that's where people get into the traps like i'm going to do this step thing and it's going to be done it's like well you're not really done it's like to me you have to have something that is not going to be this fad it's something that you could actually continue for the next, you know, phase of your life, you you have to incrementally do it. You can't just start and stop. I think the starting and stopping is what causes a lot of like trepidation with people. The starting and stopping is the hard work. We all know that momentum is the key. You know, if you were to give a little pebble a nudge down a hill, it would eventually gain huge momentum and off it goes taking its own path. But if you had to keep nudging it, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, there's a lot of energy needed just to get started. We all know that getting started on a diet, the hardest part is getting started. Getting started on a project, the hard, hardest part is getting started. But the thing is, mental and emotional wellness is a lifetime commitment journey, just like you know, you can't build a business in five minutes by giving it five minutes attention. You can't go to the gym once and expect to be fit for life. These are ongoing practices. 
you know, if you want to be fit and strong, you've got to do activity, physical activity regularly in order to maintain that. It's not a, just a once off, I'm done, well done for me, good on you, let's move on. It's regular. Now, <clears throat> mental and emotional wellness is the same thing. Sure, do a beautiful clean out, heal your past traumas, heal all your stuff, but know that that's going to be an ongoing maintenance process to be able to keep that in a happy place uh, because more stuff happens in your life. You know, just because you've cleaned out your past doesn't mean your future hasn't been cleaned out because it hasn't happened yet. So it is an ongoing regular thing. Now, if you've done a really big emotional clean out, worked with a coach or worked with a practitioner and got really great results, you've got a nice clean slate to work with. But tomorrow's a new day with a new emotion and the day after that's a new day with a new emotion. So it's an ongoing thing. Once the big clean out's done, if that's the way you choose to do it, maintaining that can be way easier. You know, it's, yeah, it's like washing your car and giving it a full detail. Then if you washed it every week, it wouldn't be so hard because you've got all, you know, you've already done the big, the big clean and you've given it a polish and you've made it all sparkly. If you wash it every week, it wouldn't get to that, you know, turmoil of really bad, dirty car. Well, your emotional baggage is the same thing. If you do that regularly, whether it be through meditation, whether it be through working through a coach, whether it be, you know, going to the gym regularly and using that as your mental and emotional outlet, whatever it is for you, you've got to find your thing. You've got to find the thing that actually really lights you up and lifts you up and feels good for you. Is that a holiday? Is that meditation? Is that painting? Like there's just so many outlets, but ignoring it serves no purpose because ignoring the mental and emotional side of things will eventually build up until the vo volcano explodes. You cannot prevent uh, showing your emotion at some point in time it's going to come out. Yeah, okay. we seem to have a lot of issues like in the U.S. with people who are bottled up and then they explode and we see all this, all these like bad results because people don't address issues and like mental health is not considered part of your primary care health. A lot of times in the U.S. it's like, okay, you get 12 visits a year and that, or you get 20 visits for the lifetime of your plan. And I'm like, well, how is that going to actually work? Because you're, like, you're not thinking like, well, you have to check your heart every year, multiple times. You have to check your blood pressure. But you're saying for your mental health, you've got a limit. Here's six visits. That's it. And so I think there's a mindset maybe with even healthcare where they're not considering it with the same weight as your heart or your liver or other things that seem more real to people. But it's just as real. You know, it's actually it, more real. It's effect. Yeah, it's probably more real because more damage. It's even more you real. <laughs> yeah, it's even more real because if you're stressed or emotional or any of those things, it affects your heart rate. It affects your blood pressure. It affects overall health. You know, every emotion affects different parts of the body. So if you're not dealing with the emotional stress, it's going to affect your physical body. And this is another one of the the elements of the industry of the system that pushed me into. Uh, more into the coaching and NLP because I wanted to be able to make a difference. I can see the holes in the system. I can see that there is a, a, a huge gap in this mental health, physical health um, connection and alignment 
where, like you say, the system doesn't really cater for the mental health as if it's not important. It's actually more important because if you're not feeling on top of your game, you're not going to look after your physical health. If you're feeling sad and depressed, you don't care about working out. You don't care about whether you've taken your medications or not. You don't care whether, you know, you showered this week. When your mental and emotional health is at rock bottom, your physical health is not your primary care and concern. So to think that you only need to be looked after a certain number of times in the mental and emotional state is just rubbish. Yeah. yeah it's just it's so just, important. It's just like it's just an afterthought, it seems, in our system. And I don't know if it's like that all, all over the world, you know, in some systems. So that's why it seems like a lot of people are driven to coaches and therapists outside of the their primary care doctor because, like, it's not working. Like, within the primary care structure, at least in the U.S., is like it does not seem to work where they understand the holistic nature of all the legs, all this, all the you know, spiritual, the mind, the body the you know, food. A lot of times you go to your primary care doctor, they don't talk about nutrition at all. They just give you pharmaceuticals without Absolutely. thinking about like what maybe you need to be, you know, dealing with your body chemistry with the right food, <laughs> you know, and, and like, if you don't deal with some of the fu fundamentals, it seems like it's foundational. Like you're saying, like, if you don't have good mental health, you could drop into all these, you know, in these holes, these sinkholes in your life, you like, they fall in, and it's like, how how is that that's affecting everything? So that seems fun fundamental. It is very fundamental, and I'm in Australia, and it's really no different to what you're describing there. Uh, mainstream general practitioners don't really have the knowledge or the time within their consultations to address nutritional stuff address mental and emotional stuff it's all a case of well let's refer out to a psychologist or something like that but there could be a six-month wait with them if someone's in a in a in a bad state six months that's that's way too long you know that's that's the difference between being here or not being here so this is where a lot of people have reached out to coaches to try and get quicker and more immediate help and also that more holistic approach simply because the system is not really geared uh, for more holistic stuff. And even there's a lot of taboo. There's a lot of, uh, you know, mental health can be a real taboo subject for a lot of people. And I know how it is in Australia. It's often, it's often the men, <coughs> excuse me. It's often the men that don't reach out and uh, feel that, you know, there's shame or there's guilt or there's another negative emotion around the fact that they need help. And this is a program. This is not men's fault. This is, this is how society and previous generations have programmed them to believe that men need to be strong. Men need to be superior. Men need to be this. Men need to be that. Mm -hmm. And it's all bollocks when it comes to emotional health because men have emotions too. They just may not share them openly like women might tend to. You know, women may cry more frequently. That's good thing. She's letting her emotion out, whereas men feel, and I'm generalising, of course, men feel that if they let mm. that emotion out, they're weak or that they're less than. And it's absolute rubbish because this is where the uh, saying, you know, angry, um, you know, grumpy old man comes from is because men will accumulate 
their emotions so much to the point they become that volcano as an older man and out it comes, it explodes and it can explode with a yeah. moment's notice because they've accumulated a lifetime of emotion and, and have never felt like they've had the outlet or the ability to let it out or share <clears throat> until they become the volcano, until they literally explode. And, of course, mainstream uh, medical help really doesn't connect the gap that we have when it comes to mental and emotional health with physical health. So it's no surprise the coaching industry has become part of the conduit to this to this problem and trying to bridge that gap where there is somewhere to go for someone who's experiencing emotional or mental challenges and can you help me? So it's good that there is an industry that can at least try and plug the gap because, you know, in most modern worlds, the gap is huge. Yeah, like I found in podcasting is this a way to have this community where you can reach out and have longer discussions than what the world is used to these days. And most times today mm. in social media, you get 30 seconds, 90 seconds, and people are getting these things. And they're just like influencers telling you to be like them, right? But within this world, you can have a free form, long, long, like a longer discussion, like an hour. Some go two hours and you can bring a therapist on and people <clears throat> can find like, whoa, wow, maybe I should look into NLP. Maybe I should look into hypnotherapy. Maybe I should look into timeline therapies. We're probably going to go deeper into these things now that I mentioned it. But the whole idea is like we're live in such a quick fix world that I, I there seems to be a yearning for the kind of like oral tradition of people talking and talking things out with a coach with a therapist you know and not just being a psychologist or a psychotherapist but being able to talk to people like yourself and find a way to address these issues that have not been addressed by by the normal system so I don't know if you would maybe talk about like somebody comes to you for NLP coaching, what's like the first things, steps that start to happen? Generally speaking, a quick conversation just to see whether we want to pursue, uh, you know, because the personality traits need to match, the, the style needs to match, that sort of thing. But once we've established that, yeah, I think we could go okay here, we move forward into what I consider a discovery call. And this is where we deep dive into what's happened the past, the stuff. And that can take between an hour to an hour and a half. And we go through the stuff. And it's the only time that I talk about the past. It's the only time I even touch on history. And that's because I need to know how the problem got created. Not the fine details of what happened, but how the problem got created, the scaffolding, so to speak. Everyone creates problems in their own mind, in their own neural network, a, a particular way. And the language people use will help me identify that because neurolinguistic is all about the language. So it's the language people use that help me identify how the problem got created, not the nitty gritty of the problem. I don't need to hear real detailed stuff of, of people's worst day of their life. I don't need to hear detail of trauma. All I need to understand is what happened, but not the detail. And this is what can be considerably different with NLP coaching versus traditional psychotherapy. Traditional psychotherapy will often focus on the problem over and over and over and over again, which, in my opinion, re-embeds the problem. 
NLP coaching is about finding the solution and helping people release their stuff from the past. So we start with a discovery call and that enables me to understand how the problem got created and how it's still in place today. Then as we move forward in the programs, if I'm working one-on-one with people, then we go through uh, what it is has, has happened and we clear out neurologically speaking, using timeline therapy, which is a dissociative technique. So no more having to relive, no more having to go through detail. And we literally allow or encourage people's nervous systems to reframe all past events, finding the positivity and the learnings in what has happened in the past. So done in such a beautiful way, clients often say to me, wow, that was easy. I didn't appreciate how good I could feel and we've done 10 minutes. It's fast and effective and really helps people release from their nervous system the baggage they've been hanging on to forever. Not talking about it over and over and over and over and over again, re-embedding it. If people come yeah. through more yeah, money, like a lot. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. If people come through more the programs as in the courses and things like that, they still get to experience these beautiful um, these beautiful techniques. Uh, it's just done more in a learning environment where, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> where, where they get to explore, um, you know, how to become a practitioner while learning how to be a client. So it can be a really, mm. really valuable experience where they get to release their stuff and learn the skills of being on the other side of the table. All in all, the whole purpose of whichever program I operate is to be able to help my clients let go of their stuff, talk out their stuff, but for release purposes, not for re-embedding. And there's a very different way in which I encourage people to talk about their stuff. And I've heard so many clients go, oh, that feels better now that I've just laid it out on the table. Yes, because getting it out of their system and being able to um, just verbalize something is, a, is enabling them to be able to get it out of their system, not because someone's going to pick it apart or pull it apart or psychoanalyze it, but just so they can get it off their plate. Men in particular may never have actually expressed or verbalized what it is that's challenging them. So to let it come out of their mouth can actually help solve the problem right then and there because they've been given the time and the space and the opportunity to let it out of their system and be heard, not judged, be heard. And that can be the real key component with a lot of the type of coaching and the courses and all of that sort of stuff is enabling people to be seen and heard, not judged. I've heard so many clients say that, you know, when they've been to traditional therapy, they felt like they're being analysed. And of course they are, because anytime they express something, the therapist is looking to find the next reply or find the next technique or find the next way. So they do, they psychoanalyze you so they can help find a solution. But in coaching, we listen. We ask mm. questions because there's a huge difference with coaching. I don't tell people what to do. I don't I rarely give people advice. I may give people tasking where I ask them to do certain tasks so that way they re-embed the new beliefs and they re-embed the new habits that they've just formed. But I rarely ever tell anybody what to do. 
I ask questions. And this is where NLP coaching can be significantly different to traditional counseling or psychotherapy because I'm asking questions that is helping the client find the solution within their, within themselves. They've already got the answers. They yeah. already know what's best for them. They know what's best for them better than anybody can. They just have never felt like they've had permission to express or explore what's best for them because they've always judged themselves or felt that like they're being judged. So coaching is all about asking really good questions to help the client find the answer within themselves. And it's a beautiful process. Watching them get there, oh, aha, I, oh, that's where that comes from. That's actually really fulfilling for me to watch people untangle their own thinking and find the solution for themselves. And then they may ask questions, well, what do you think of this? But they've already come up with the answer. And I'll ask them back, hmm. well, what do you think of it? You know, because it's not up to what I think. I'm just the guide. I'm just the mentor. I'm there to guide a process. But the process can be so beautiful because the client gets to untangle what they've already known for probably a lifetime and never really given themselves permission to explore it. It's like that. It's like the artists you talk about. You know, they were potentially waiting on perfection before they even expressed anything. But it, once they trickle some good stuff out, oh, the rest flows beautifully because they're being seen and they're being heard by someone who's not judging. That's one of the things I think, um, well, it's interesting, like as a producer, one of the things I like to do is ask somebody to give me the song that no, you don't want anybody to hear because I want to hear the authentic you. I don't want to hear you trying to clone somebody. I want to hear you, to, the song you're scared to show anybody because what I find is that is the authentic version. That is the authentic artist. And all I want to do is make that artist better. And like you're saying, the solution to making them better is a lot of what they, you know, giving them permission for them to be themselves and giving them permission to use their voice. And I try to sound like somebody else to play the way they want to play. And I try to sound like somebody else. And when you give somebody the, the, the opportunity to actually authentically create their own work and not try to clone or copy somebody else, uh, then, then, then they start to realize that like they are actually in charge. I'm just facilitating, you know, I'm just helping them sound better. I might use a better mic, but they're still, they're the ones doing it. I'm not really telling them what to do. I'm just like trying to get them to, to, to be more authentic. And a lot of people don't feel they have a right to be authentic. They think they need to put a mask on. They think they need to put, put the, put the character, you know, on. And like, what I try to get to is like, well, who is, who's really this person? <laughs> so it seems similar in some ways, but you know, it's probably totally different aspects, but. Well, they're different vehicles, different ways of getting to the same outcome. At the end of the day, you're helping people become their most authentic, integral self. Well, coaching is the same idea where we want to draw out the solution of who this person really is. When someone comes for coaching, there, there's a pile of symptoms happening because they're not living their best self. Maybe their finances are not good. Maybe their health's not good. Maybe their relationship sucks. Whatever that it, there is, there's a pile of symptoms and it's, they're all being expressed in different ways, you know, depending on whether someone's unhealthy or their bank account's unhealthy. When we dig deeper into the root cause of this stuff, 
it actually comes down to those beliefs, the I'm not good enough, the I'm not worthy, the I'm not seen and heard, the fear of what other people think. People have not yet given themselves permission to be their true authentic voice, their true authentic self, because they've been programmed to believe they need to be like everybody else. You know, mainstream media and everything else will have us believe that we're not good enough. So therefore we need to purchase this product so we can look like everyone else or be like everyone else or fit in like everybody else. And this is where a lot of the mental and emotional health problems come from is because individuals do appreciate I'm not like them. Oh, but you need to make me look like them. So I fit in. Fit into what? Fit into someone yeah. else's <laughs> preconceived ideas of what you should look like, sound like, feel like, etc. No surprise people's mental and emotional health is struggling because we're trying to be someone we're not. Before I studied NLP, before I learned NLP, I used to literally change my voice. Because I've got a really deep voice for a feminine, well, that's at least how I felt it was, I used to change my voice and put on my telephone voice Whenever I was speaking to people, yeah, I used to literally sound pitchy and and squeaky because in my head, or at least in my belief systems, I had this warped idea that, oh, I'm too masculine to be a female. Mm. Whose stupid idea is that? Like, that's a program. And once I got rid of the program and got rid of that crappy belief, I could actually use my voice with strong congruency. I am who I am. This is my voice. It is what it is. And it's become my greatest gift. I realize Mm. now that I've had, I've got a really great strong voice, which is perfect for NLP. And I tell you, it's even better for hypnotherapy because I've Mm. got that deep raspy voice. It's amazing for those therapies. So what I realize now is I was given a gift but I was so busy hiding it, trying to be a girly girl. You weren't using it. (laughs) I wasn't using it and I wasn't using it in the right way. Mm -hmm. And once I appreciated that I just get to be me, boy, was it a thousand times easier being me than it was trying to be someone I'm not, trying to fit in a crowd that I didn't fit into, trying to do anything. And the reality is in, in business and in the world, it's the people that stand out. Yeah, (laughs) that's your superpower is like the individualism. What people don't seem to understand is like people want to clone the individual that decided they they were going to be original. Right. But when you see like everybody wants to clone like the person who's making it, well, that person is actually originally them. You know, they they actually created something. But now you want to copy them, you know. Absolutely. And and that's like the big issue, like with influencers and stuff, like, well, just be like me. And then people get into body shaming and all kinds of stuff happen with the young people. They see these influencers. You got to be like them. You got to sound like them. You got to eat what they eat, drink what they eat, take what they take, whatever. And I just, I, I've always been more of a person. I like to see what's going on in the underground. I, 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 I look for independent emerging voices. I want to hear some originality because I can, you know, of course, I, I could look at what's on these top lists. That really doesn't appeal to me. I like to find out where somebody's pushing the envelope. Like they're, they're pushing the, the, the leading edge, like the, the bleeding edge, the cutting edge is, is usually something that not everybody likes, right? It, it's not the, for everybody, but what it, it is, is it's 
it's that person's originality. It's their authentic honesty. That that's what to me is more appealing than I can hear like a thousand people do the same thing. Why would I want to do that? I'd rather hear somebody try something different. And it is that originality and that authenticity that almost goes back to that flow state we were talking about before. When you tap into who you truly are, who you really are, who you authentically are, take off all the masks, take off all those crappy beliefs, take off all of that. You look and sound and to some people feel better because you're being authentic. You're being who you are. And there's an energy behind that that resonates with people, whether it's with an audience, whether it's online, whatever it is, people resonate with your true authentic self because people have really good BS meters. So they understand when you're just faking it. And what I realize now is for so many years, I was faking it, my voice in particular, certainly my personality, trying to be someone I wasn't because I wanted to fit in. Mm. I appreciate now a little bit older and wiser and cleared out all those crappy beliefs that I was programmed with. I don't need to be anybody else other than myself in order to fit in because I don't need to fit in. I need to be me. And when I'm being me, I get to attract the type of people that resonate with me. And guess what? I will then fit in well with the a new group of people that actually want to be around me, that resonate and want to be you know, part of my ecosystem. I don't need to try and fit into a group that never felt good, that never lifted me up, never allowed me to be who I am. So this whole concept of fitting in, I understand how it's important to so many people around the world, but it's not healthy because it's not yeah. who you are. You're, you're trying to be someone you're not in order to fit into a crowd that probably doesn't appreciate you because they're not appreciating themselves either. They're doing things differently or, or um, you know, cloning someone else, modelling someone else in order to try and fit in with somewhere they probably don't fit either. Instead of it's just being law, yourself. Yeah. It's a law of attraction. What I find, like, if you, what I find when, you, when you're out there and you have originality or you have the confidence to be able to go to, like, a, a poetry slam, and, and read your own original work or go to like, you know, an art show and, and show your painting and, and, and not be scared to do it. And then once you put it in the world, yeah, there's always going to be a hater. There's going to be a critic because it's going to say something. And, and, you know, you just look at them and say, okay, they have a right to say what they're going to say. But once you put something in the world, it's like that law of attraction happens. Like suddenly you find out there are voices that agree with you. And there are verses that maybe don't. And so you get your own tribe that comes with you. Like you put this stuff out there and then you you find that like, wow, there are people that dig what I'm doing. And you're like, no matter what you're doing, whether you're a business person or an actor or, or you know, just a regular person, just putting out your, your point of view, you know, coming out here and doing a podcast because you want to say your point of view. That's what a lot of people do. They, they, now they've actually found... An audience and it's like wow it's like they had an idea but it's you know if you sleep on the idea no one's ever going to hear it but you know what's happening in this podcast world people are coming out and they're saying what they what they feel and then suddenly they get an audience and it's like wow how did that happen well because they decided 
to not be scared anymore and just just do it. <laughs> but absolutely, and we don't need to fit in with everybody. We never will. So this is why being your authentic self and being who you really are and clearing out those limitations and clearing out those beliefs that are holding you back from being your true authentic self. That's why that's really important. So then you will resonate with a tribe of people that are like-minded for you, for the real you, for who you truly want to become or who you really are rather than the mask you've been wearing. And even if you do get negative comments or negative feedback, you'll find that that person or bot that gave you negative feedback uh, is more is most likely judging themselves. They're not even judging you. They're judging themselves. And there's a there's a couple of key questions that I like to give my clients as they go through their their development journey. And this is something I ask myself because of course the more you get well known or the more you get yourself out there, the more you're going to have uh, opportunity for people to dislike you as well as like you. And to safeguard my own mental health, it's just two questions that I ask myself if I ever get negative feedback or get, you know, someone wanting to troll my stuff. And that's a case of, is it true? Is what they're saying true? I ask myself that, is it true? Because if someone said to me, oh, I really like your pink hair, well, is that true? Well, the answer is no, right? So I don't even need to bring it into my system. I don't even need to bring it in because it's not even true. And the second thing I ask myself is, is it mine? Now, so many humans out there are hurting. They're hurting a lot and hurt people hurt people. So if they're hurting mm. themselves, they will often lash out, generally speaking, in the safety of online, you know, because keyboard warriors can be out there having a good time. <laughs> yeah. But you'll find that these people are actually just really hurting themselves and with compassion, I simply ask myself, well, is it mine? Is what that negative comment saying, is, is it for me? And 99% of the time, no, it's not for me either. It's actually just their version of speaking out. You know, it might be typing out, but speaking out for themselves. That's not for me to take on board. That's not for me to take personally. That's not for me to get negativity from. It's their stuff and it can stay with them. So I find it really, really helpful for people moving forward in their journey as they want to become their true, authentic self. You're going to get some backlash. You're going to get some negativity. It's going to happen. It may even come from family and friends because you're ready to do something differently to how you've already been. And I know I had this when I first started. It wasn't necessarily negative, but there were certainly comments. Oh, you sound different. Well, yeah, I'm not putting on an act anymore oh, you look different because I'm not putting on an act anymore. And when I look at those comments or, or, or sort of replay those comments, oh, you look different, oh, you sound different, that's a good thing because I'm actually who I'm meant to yeah. be, not who I was trying to be. But I know that some people in their in their start of their journey may find that a little bit challenging or offensive. And the, and, and the thing is, it's not meant to be. If people are noticing there's a difference in you, that's a good thing because it means that something you're doing yeah, is working definitely. in that moving forward. You know, it means that you're taking those stepping stones forward in your life to being the true authentic self. So never be disheartened because someone notices you're doing something differently. That That's actually a good thing because it's being noticed that you're moving on a different path. 
Yeah, when you stop pitching your voice, you found that you could use it in your hypnotherapy as like, well, this is actually a, a powerful thing that I was suppressing that you, you weren't using. And then, and then you're saying like, you kind of, you know, uh, implied that, that that being able to use that deeper voice helps in that process. And so like, once you discover not to like pitch it, you found out like, well, I can use this as I am, you know, this is my voice, I can use it. And I can be comfortable within my normal range, right? Very much so. When when you speak in your natural, comfortable voice, you can talk for a long time. If you're putting it on, firstly, you may start to forget to put it on and, you know, waver all over the place. But putting on a pitchy voice to cover my deep voice, it wasn't who I were, who I am. It's also very uncomfortable to do and hurts your vocal cords. And for therapies like timeline therapy, hypnotherapy and coaching, a strong commanding voice is so much more valuable for me than a pitchy voice that I've put on. It is also more congruent. If I'm trying to teach people to become congruent and authentic for themselves, who am I to tell them or encourage them to be that if I'm not being that myself? So it meant that I just resonated with people so much more. It also comes as part of my story. I fully understand some people fake who they are because it's uncomfortable for them. Well, guess what? I was part of that too. And that's part of our journey. That's part of our story. And I learned I don't need to be that person anymore. I don't need to pretend to be someone I'm not. I get to be me. And I get to be fully me, deep deep voice and all. It's okay because it's who I am and it's the voice I was given. What I didn't realize at the time was the voice I was given was strong and powerful and really suited to these modalities that would help change worlds. So what a great gift you know, and opportunity I have when I am being myself, when I'm not that's pitching. A, that's a, that, I think that's the, the big lesson a lot of people find is they've been pushing down who they are, right? Because whatever, there's some kind of, a situation in their past that made them feel that 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 wasn't good enough that that was like ba- that's bad to be who I am and then suddenly you, you you hit this moment where like I've got to address this because I like I'm not comfortable in my own skin I'm not comfortable with who I am I had a lot of limitations in my life I had a crucible moment I got past it and I was not comfortable public speaking I was not comfortable being in front of people and then I addressed like why why was I scared? Right? I felt like why well, I, I don't have a right to be there. But once I felt like I could be in that room, that I could do it, then I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't scared of it anymore. And in the nervousness and the and the and the fear and you know, you know, panic attack, like they all went away. And because once you you get past it, and then you live in your new world. Then, then it's not, it's, it's actually just, you know, just incrementally, you try more things, you get, you get better, you keep, you never stop, you know, you evolve. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's all part of the stepping stones of building your empire. You start with one thing and you get good at it and you move forward. Eventually you get, your, you get out of your own way. You realize that, hang on a minute, I was scared for no reason. Because most of the time people are scared for something that never actually comes true oh, I might fail in front of an audience. You don't fail. You learn and you grow and you do all right. 
And it's okay if it wasn't perfect, because guess what? The audience will resonate with you even more if it's not perfect, because yeah. then you look human <laughs> rather than perfect. You know, it's that imperfect action. It's that's okay. where you know, I, yeah. It, you know, it's okay to fumble on a word. It's well, that's okay why we do. Well, that that's why we do this live, non-scripted, not pre-taped podcast. Because like when we first started doing podcast, we tried to do scripted, controlled, heavily edited podcast, and then we like it doesn't feel real. It feels fake. I don't like it. Like I I decided like why don't I just do like a radio interview and do it like and do it that way. Just say I'm doing a live interview and it's gonna be what it is, and and just be comfortable with that and kind of live in that mode and see what you could do by, by, by just having a conversation. And I found it like, well, a lot of people were saying, well, you shouldn't do it that way. And I said, well, I, I disagree. And I, and I continue to do it this way. And um, it just becomes something that, I've, that I got comfortable with and say, Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. And you know, if somebody wants to do the other way, that's fine. But for me, I found I have to do it this way. And you'll find you attract the audiences that like this style, that like free-flowing conversation and, and real and raw conversations. Other people that prefer the other way will listen to those other versions, and that's okay. You know, there's plenty for everybody. And I feel that you need to do the what is authentic to you and what works for you. You'll attract the right audience that want to listen to that. Yeah, I think that's what's important when people, you know, find the right um therapy for them you know or the right mechanism for you know self-actualizing you know because once people realize you know what is it how am i going to get to be me well probably get get out of my own way is probably one of the things <laughs> but but also like be comfortable with what you can you know, like the idea of the happy accident you know the idea of the flow state the idea of like not having like the imperfection is that beautiful in art that a lot of pieces of art are, are really beautiful because of the, the kind of just present nature of what it was at the time they did it. It's like, it's that point in time thing. And, and I think people, once they start realizing that there are these points and times in your life that you can just, you know, maybe there's something you could have done better, but that's what it is. And it's beautiful for what it was at that time. And so you, you just let it go and keep on going. It becomes part of your journey and it becomes part of your history. And the thing is, it, it was perfect at the time. It was right at the time. You know, as we grow and evolve, things change. We are our biggest asset. So how we think and how we feel and all of that is exactly like the more we work on that, that pathway is going to change. What we paint and what we draw is going to change but it's all part of where we were at the time, in the present moment. And the more we grow and evolve and the more things we let go of and the more we release and all of those things, what we draw is going to change. And that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that what we drew in the past is wrong or bad. It's where we were at the time. So keep working on yourself. It's a, it's a journey. It's a process. But because we are in our mental state and our emotional state is our best asset, you work on that, you get to grow and evolve into amazing things, you know, your true authentic self.
just takes a little work. Well, I want to thank you. Yeah, I want to thank you for being on the show. It always takes um, so little time to hit the hour mark, and and we suddenly we hit it. But um, it's just it's just a, I love having conversations with people from around the world and, and talking to somebody in Australia. You're in Australia now. That's always amazing to me that I can talk to people. You know, the, the, you know, I'm in New Hampshire, USA. So that that's just interesting, like how far we can touch people with this with this uh, communication. Well, I want people to be reminded that the link we have for you, the www.drkimbrown.com forward slash courses will be fully clickable for the audience when they go listen to this or watch it on the po any podcast platform that they want to. We're on all the major platforms from Spotify to iHeartRadio to Apple. That will be out there uh, within the next day. Uh, we were live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast tonight. Thank you again. I uh, appreciate you being a guest on our show. And I hope uh, people will actually click that URL and, and make appointments with you and check out what you have to offer to the audience. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night or day. It's probably daytime for you or, or at night. I can never tell. <laughs> <laughs>